Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural inspirations. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. This week, I had an incredible conversation with legendary musician, producer, and record label boss, Adrian Young. We spoke about one of Marvin Gaye's best loved and most impactful albums, What's Going On? That album really resonates with Adrian's latest project, which comprises of a new album, a podcast, and a short film. He is quite a prolific artist. He is also so talented and so incredibly smart and insightful. It was such an honor to speak with him. Uh, What's Going On is is such a complex and multi-layered album, and it's significant artistically as well as historically. So Adrian and I dug into Marvin Gaye's personal and professional history. We talked about the creation of What's Going On and its legacy. And we also talk about blackness in America and the meaning of patriotism. In short, a lot of ground is covered. So let's get to it, shall we? Quick Adrian facts. Adrian Young is a member of the Midnight Hour and has produced for entertainment greats ranging from Jay-Z to Kendrick Lamar to the Wu-Tang Clan. He has composed for television shows such as Marvel's Luke Cage, which he did with Alicia Heed Muhammad of A Tribe Called Quest, and films including Black Dynamite. He is the owner of Linear Labs Boutique Record Label and Analog Studio and is co-owner of Jazz Is Dead. When he's not working on scores for major studios or networks, He's making albums that speak to his own artistry for his brilliant new album, The American Negro, which is released this Friday, February 26th. Young not only wrote, but played every instrument in the album's rhythm section. He also orchestrated a 30-piece orchestra and recorded them in his analog studio. As a part of the same project, he's released a limited podcast series called Invisible Blackness, featuring interviews with Chuck D of Public Enemy and Ladybug Mecca of Diggable Planets, amongst many others, as well as a short film called T.A.N., quick What's Going On facts. What's Going On is the 11th studio album by American soul singer, songwriter, and producer Marvin Gaye. It is a concept album, and its narrative is established by songs told from the point of view of a Vietnam veteran returning to his home country to witness hatred, suffering, and injustice. Gaye's introspective lyrics explore themes of drug abuse, poverty, and the Vietnam War. He has also been credited with promoting awareness of ecological issues before the public outcry over them had become prominent. The album was an immediate commercial and critical success, eventually being regarded as a classic of 1970s soul. And there you have it. So let's stop beating around the bush here and jump over to the interview. Quick word of warning first. Eh, my mic decided not to pick up any sound. So my end of the conversation was recorded through my laptop's mic, and it sounds like shit. But Adrian sounds great. 
And that's all that really matters, right? So uh, <laughs> sorry for the ropiness on my end, but hey, shit happens sometimes, right? And it doesn't sound that bad. So just uh, want to manage expectations there. Okay, no more delay. Here comes my chat with Adrian Young about what's going on. So with this show, like I, it's a huge variety of stuff that people want to talk about. And sometimes it's stuff that I connect with and sometimes it's stuff that you know, is not really my thing with something like this, where it's like part of my DNA, something that's been, you know, in my life since the moment I was born, basically it's, uh, feels like this huge, there's such a huge scope of, um, stuff to talk about. Um, do, do you even remember uh, a moment of becoming aware of it or has it, has it always just kind of been in your life too? Uh, as far as what's going on? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I'm 42 years old. So I come from a time when the concept of the celebrity and superstar was on a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. It was like celebrity superstars were like, like deities. And it's a time when there was no internet. There was only what, five, six, seven channels you could have on your television. So if you're on the radio, if you're on the television, it was a big deal. So being born in 78, this is seven years after what's going on came out, but it was still on the radio. It was still a big deal. It was still, it was a timeless record. So I grew up with this record. I grew up with this record in my house. I grew up with, with this record on the radio all the time because life was just different. And the concept of Marvin's narrative just really became so omnipresent. It was just everywhere because he illuminated on so many things. So it was always just a part of me also. Yeah. 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 Um, we were the same age, so we. Uh, I, I, I think you know I, all the experiences of pre-internet. Um, you know uh, the way that people ex- accessed media, having to you know when new music came out, if it was on the radio, having to like tape it off the radio, or or not you know not having as as easy access to stuff um, as as people do now. So I, I definitely relate to all that. Exactly. But do you feel like? Was there a progression in your relationship to this album, like from being a kid and just having it as uh, music that you may or may not have understood all of the meanings and all the issues that it it deals with um, into something that's, you know, touched you professionally as well as as personally? Well, I'm just projecting here as well. No, 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 of course. You you, you tell me. (laughs) Of course. I mean, so, you know, I grew up a child of hip hop and I'm hip hop to the core. Right. I'm hip hop Mm -hmm. to the core. Like I'm so hip hop culture and hip hop served as a conduit to the past because hip hop is the Brie college of vinyl culture. It's it's a mosaic that brought together so much vinyl culture and made it something new. So Marvin Gaye's been sampled so much. Curtis Mayfield's been sampled so much. And Isaac Hayes, all these great soulful performers performers have been sampled so much. And you start to hear their music the optic that hip-hop provides you from the concept of the break, the sample. So as I got older, as a teenager, you know, I started my career off sampling, having an MPC and getting these old records and sampling and making my new beats. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I realized that the derivative music I was making did not stimulate me as much as the original music. And this is when I was around 18 years old. And I said to myself, wow, it's time to learn how to play an instrument because my favorite music is with live instruments and it's also recorded on analog tape. So I just started studying, I started buying instruments, started playing, teaching myself, 
to, to really become who I am today. And in part of that journey, it was re-listening to this old music that I grew up with and understanding this new relationship I had. Because before I started learning instruments and started really writing real music, my relationship with what's going on was that, oh, this is a great album that was there. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, no, someone actually played every one of these instruments, wrote the music, and it's, it's on a whole new level. So this album started to teach me how important music could be. And then when I started thinking about, well, what are some of my favorite albums of all time? For Marvin Gaye, my two favorite albums of his is What's Going On and I Want You. And I enjoy listening to these albums so much, but I always have to put What's Going On at the top because of the message and the execution of the message. So then applying that to myself as an artist, as a composer, as a producer, writer, I realized that if I want to create my greatest work, I need to talk about more than just falling in love. I need to talk about issues that could help the world. Like I need to talk about things that could make it, you know, help my children understand their consciousness a little more, you know, and that's what I realized what's going on did for me and so many other people. You know, it's, it's interesting because when this album came out in 1970, Billboard said, Billboard magazine said it was a cross between Curtis Mayfield and old Motown and it outdone anything that Marvin Gaye ever did. And if you think about this time, 1970, I mean, 1971, Curtis Mayfield just left the impressions just to this first solo album in 1970 eponymously called Curtis. And he had a song on there called If There's a Hell Below, and where he's talking about Nixon, he's talking about whiteies, he's talking about niggers, he's he's like going in. Mm. And this is diametrically opposed to what he was doing prior with The Impressions, his group of The Impressions, where he would talk about the concept of race, but in a very poetic and non-brazen, unoffensive way. And this, these are the songs that Martin Luther King would march to. Mm-hmm. And now he's going all the way on the other side on some straight black power, this is who I am. That's in 1970. Now in 1971, Marvin Gaye's doing What's Going On, an album that's inspired by letters written to him from his brother that was a Vietnam vet that came back and was treated like shit and saw everything just around him not being kosher, man. And he is inspired by this and he made an album to educate people on what was going on. And that changed my life, basically, to put me in the position where now I have this, the American Negro album. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I can, in, in the whole the whole project, the podcast as well, I can feel the parallels there. Yeah. Um, but I think talking about what's going on, the thing that makes it not just this curious blip in his career is is that it's an album that has obviously a social conscience it's uh it's talking about racism about the place of black people in american society about the war about the environment um all of these complex issues but the artistry the musicianship that that goes into this album it was a it was a revelation for Motown. Uh, you know, I, I I'm sure you know this. You know, Barry Gordy wanting to Hated. reject it and thinking it wasn't marketable and and all yeah. that stuff. So it was like this 
earth-shattering change for Motown in terms of what was possible from their artists and also for artist control because it wasn't just about a factory, you know, uh, turning out these, uh, I mean, amazing songs, incredible songs, but uh, uh, this dynamic shift. um, And none of that could be possible without this man who his talent was just boundless and, and somebody who, um, you know, combining not only the, uh, these huge issues that are, uh, you know, national issues, global issues, but relating to it personally. And, you know, coming off a year when he'd experienced, you know, Tammy Terrell died or a, a couple of years, um, you know, he wanted to, didn't perform. He like tried to be a football player, all this uh, mm-hmm. turmoil in his life. He got divorced and using all of that energy and channeling it into something that was just this like, you know, uh, still unfathomable piece of work. And it was a huge, huge success. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, like mind blowingly huge. Um, and I think having all of those elements come together that it's, it's uh, uh, for want of a uh, less <laughs> pretentious phrase, like a, a, a tapestry of, um, you know, a, a million different themes and it's, it's so complex. Um, so all, all of that stuff coming into it too. You can't just, I, I think uh, you can listen to it as just a beautiful piece of music. It is, it's his voice is always this, his instrument was so stunning, yeah. so amazing that just those individual elements, the musicianship from, from uh, the band as well. Yeah. Um, you can just listen to it as a beautiful piece of music, but it's also the, the meaning pops out. It doesn't, it's, that's not something that stays in the background. It's not something that is yeah. easy to ignore. Right. Um, and the message is just delivered so effectively, so clearly. Anyway, oh, I'm going uh, um, on a tangent. Marvin Gaye fascinates me more than any other musician ever. I I, I like, I'm so fascinated about that guy. And he was not the best person in the world, to be honest with you. I mean, um, if you ever, if you you ever get a time, I'm not sure if you read it, but David Ritz wrote an autobiography on on Marvin Gaye. I mean, a Mm -hmm. biography on Marvin Gaye. And it is so revealing as far as who he was. And at this time, like you said, Tammy Durrell died. He was suffering from Great Depression. She died a year before this album was released. She died in 1970. And that was, that was his, you know, his, his role dog. That was his partner, you know? So he was depressed. He was on cocaine. He was having IRS problems. He divorced. He was divorced with Barry Gordy's sister at the time. His records weren't selling. He had an album release in 1970 that he didn't want to travel for, promote for, because also he hated performing. He was he was afraid to perform. So the first performance that he did after all this depression and everything was a year after uh, what's going on was released at the Candy Center, mm. and it was it's kind of like what really brought him back. And like you said, yes, Barry Gordy hated on this record. He says he doesn't didn't really hate on it, but there's too many stories to say he was hating on it. And at the same time. Barry Gordon was saying it was too jazzy, too political, and Motown, opposed to Stax, was bubblegum. You know, they had Jackson 5 and they had Diana Ross. It was all like bubblegum poppy type stuff for in, in order to be crossover. Right. So this was a huge, huge leap. Uh, Four Tops was doing some more political stuff, but still they had the bubblegum songs. Um, and then it was successful, mm. like you said. And then the issue is like, well, what does this say now? 
because Motown is now in LA. It's not the Detroit Motown anymore. It's a whole new world. And Marvin is, is back on top. And he got back on top from writing an album that was ecologically conscious, that was conscious of the Black struggle, that talked about poverty to just different forms of discrimination, you know? And also, it was a counterattack against people like Nixon Mm -hmm. that were sending these minorities to Vietnam to kill people that had nothing, had no problems with them. You know, it was a purely power-driven type war. And then you would come home as a veteran of the war that risked your life and have no rights and no respect and no real opportunities on the home front. So this album came out at a time also when Nixon was promulgating this war on drugs in order to really lock up the hippies, to lock up the Black Panthers, to restrict our Fourth Amendment rights to privacy so that we can be further investigated. And we were all the enemies of Nixon. Nixon was like another Trump, basically, you know? Mm -hmm. So this album spoke to so many that were against injustice at a very pivotal, at a very pivotal time in America. Yeah. And I, I also can't stop thinking, you know, I, the, the parallels between Nixon and Trump, between the people who supported those two presidents, um, thinking about those issues in, in the context of this album. I can't stop thinking about the concept of patriotism. And, um, it, you know, there is this idea from MAGA uh, people that patriotism is, is blind. It means you support your country, no matter what, you never have a bad word to say against it. And, you know, I, it, at that time, expecting Black people who were drafted into this war did not volunteer, expected them to go and fight in this unjust war and then come home and not have any support, be treated like shit, and still have this blind patriotism. And to me, this album is a patriotic act. But to me, the, the concept of patriotism um, it, it cannot exist unless, like, if you love something, you have to want it to be the best it can be. You want, have to want it to um, achieve some form of greatness. And that's not possible unless you are constantly striving to improve and acknowledging its flaws and, and examining them. And a huge part of this album to me is doing that. It's like holding up a mirror to this country and saying, this is the reality. This is, this is my reality. This is the reality of black people in America. This is the reality for, for everyone. And um, we've got to, to deal with this stuff head on. We can't shy away from it and we can't pretend that everything is okay because it's not. Right. I mean, uh, the concept of, of patriotism is a very enigmatic word that is used to trick people into being loyal to a system. Mm -hmm. And I love America, but America can be way better. I mean, America is a nation that is derivative from a slave society, not a a nation that had slaves. You know, it's a nation that was built around the concept of slavery. So 
the machinations that happen to ensure a system could be in place were still being enforced after slavery was abolished with Jim Crow laws and black codes and all that stuff. And we still feel the vestige of that today. And mm -hmm. you can also, when it comes to war, it's very interesting because our first major war that we had here, you know, as far as Americans, you know, or the first war that really counted for America was a revolutionary war. And the British said to the blacks, hey, you fight on our side, we'll free you. You know, so a lot of blacks jumped over because blacks weren't allowed to be part of the military. Why were they not allowed to be part of the military in America? Because they were stupid and they didn't want black people to have weapons. So after the British said, it's okay for you guys to come on and fight, then George Washington reluctantly, who, who was a slave owner, mm -hmm. uh, reluctantly allowed black soldiers to fight on the behalf of America. And that's one of the reasons why we won the war. Then in our wars after that, the military became, so in the Civil War also, Abraham Lincoln did not want to have blacks fighting on the behalf of the North. I say this all to say that blacks have had this strange relationship with being patriots to America. Um, our constitution was founded upon the principle that we should not be denied life, liberty, and prosperity. But we did not include black people and we didn't actually include women. Right. It was white landowners. So we've always dealt with this concept of patriotism. And when we don't educate people on what America really represents, it's hard for the lay person to understand what they are edifying when they are saluting the flag or whatever it may be. Right. And, and when there's, uh, you know, it's not a, a passive rewriting of history or, uh, you know, ignoring the, the bad parts, it's, it's intentional and it's what's taught in schools. Uh, it's, you know, uh, the, the, the history of America that's taught in schools is white history and, you know, segmenting out slavery as something that's like, yes, we, we all understand that this is bad, but, and, you know, rounding it off into like a, a unit that you teach for one semester and, and that's it. Um, instead of saying this in, is infused, the, the legacy of, of slavery is infused in every aspect of American society to this day. And I think getting back to this album, that even though he's not explicitly talking about uh, American history, about uh, the, the legacy of slavery, it's, it's there. It's be if, if you are thinking about these issues, you can understand the through line. And, um, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> thinking about the fact that this is the 50th anniversary year of this album, and there has been change, there has been incremental change, um, you know, that we're not living in the same world now that we were in 1971, but, you know, incremental being the key word, yeah. that there are so many things that are still the same. Yeah. And that's what makes this album so uh, vital and, and so relevant today still is because, um, you know, you, you can relate, you can hear 
all of the things that are happening in, in our world right now are still there. It's timeless. Yeah. Basically, you know, I mean, and also being the fact that, given the fact that not only was Marvin Gaye depressed around this time, in his, in, in his life, he had very deep issues regarding religion, mm-hmm. um, especially with his father, who was a minister. Um, his father was a cross-dressing minister. His father um, abused the hell out of the family. And, and, you know, as many people know, his father ended up shooting him. Uh, and that's how Marvin died. Uh, but in this album, it's gospel at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting when you think about what gospel or just the notion of Christianity means to the black consciousness of the last four centuries, because the only book that blacks were allowed to read in many states was the Bible. Mm-hmm. The only time blacks had any form of stratification and or felt some sort of sanctuary is when they were in their church. That was the only time in many states that they were allowed to wear whatever the clothes they wanted to wear on Sundays. And also the Bible was a way that enslavers helped to enforce their dominance over the black population because they would quote scriptures that say to obey your master. And they would also say that if you obey your master, then you will find refuge in heaven. This is where your destiny is. This is where you're supposed to be happy. It's not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be be a good slave so that you get into heaven. So blacks have this really interesting relationship with the church. And when it comes to the concept of creating secular music, Blacks have always, especially these soul uh, singers, you know, from Curtis Mayfield to Aretha Franklin and to Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. have always dealt with it with this demarcation line between secular music and gospel music, and then having to infuse that into your album. And the constant the issue is like, well, what does that say here? Because he's speaking to God at the same time he's depressed, at the same time he's a cocaine addict. And he's just not the best person. You know, he would mm-hmm. hit women, you know, like he wasn't the best person. He had issues. But this album encapsulates much more than just his social message. It's also his internal struggle, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, uh, you know, again, the kind of interlinking of the personal, the professional, and the political. Um, uh, and, and you can follow that thread at each of those threads individually. It, it, it is all, uh, it exists all together throughout the whole album. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the lyrics are so specific and so clear. Uh, you know, you can have albums where people are speaking very poetically and they, um, you know, the, the lyrics can be interpreted in a lot of different ways or you might not even really know what they're saying. It just sounds nice. And with this, it's like, there's, uh, the intent uh, is is so pronounced. It's so clear. Um, yeah, just just truly a, a a marvel. Absolutely. I mean, it revolutionized black music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that is a uh, that's a good note to to end on. Um, <laughs> do you, you feel good? You feel satisfied? Feel great, bro. Yes. Thank you so much for this. This was really uh, a great conversation. 
Thank you, bro. Good to see you, man. All right. Yeah, you too. Take care. That was spectacular. Thanks again to Adrian for making time for me. What a joy and a privilege it was to speak with him. Once again, his incredible new album, The American Negro, is out this Friday. So do yourself a favor and give it a listen. It is truly, truly amazing. Okay, Uh, my inspiration for this week is a bit of a cheat. It's not a specific artwork. It's Daft Punk, Uh, as I'm sure everyone knows now. They split up or retired or something. It's all a little vague, but they're not going to make any more music together. And it's really fucking sad. Um, I started listening to their stuff in the mid nineties when I was a little baby raver and really getting into dance music. And their stuff has soundtracked a huge chunk of my life. I'd listened to and loved all of the stuff they released before their debut album homework really exploded their influence. And I remember making my sister who lived in London at the time, buy a copy of homework and mail it to me in Minnesota because it hadn't come out in the States yet. And this was obviously before music could be streamed. Uh, anyway. I'm I'm just sad that Daft Punk won't be making any new music together, and I hope they'll still make some stuff individually. That's it. Um, so give their music a listen this week, too. And that's all I've got. Have a great week. Don't go too stir-crazy. Winter is going to be over before you know it. And until next time, bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.